His brother was a law enforcement officer, chief of police. He was shot and killed in the line of duty. He was executed. And he's here to talk about what he and his family went through, what it's taken to get to where they're at today, and the group that's helped them. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Are you looking for great products that can be game changers for people, for their physical health, for their mental health, for their overall well-being? Go to letpops.com. That's letpops.com. I take these Juice Plus products. They make a world of difference for me. Better energy. I sleep better every night. Full night sleep every night. Zero leg cramps and more. Many people will tell you about the wonderful things that these products do for them. Plus, it can be a phenomenal business opportunity. You can help people improve their lives and, for a very small fee, get a complete back-end, complete website, zero inventory, no shipping, none of that stuff. Get full details on our website, letpops.com. That is letpops.com. Calling us from great state of Oregon, Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Show. Alan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. By the way, folks, Alan is not a law enforcement officer. Alan is a construction guy, and but his brother was a law enforcement officer, and we'll be talking more about that. People don't understand the Law Enforcement Today show, even though the title is Law Enforcement Today. We have guests on who are spouses, siblings, survivors. We even have firefighters, EMTs, dispatchers on as guests, and we've opened this up for people who have gone through horrific crimes because there's so much about their stories that we can all take some inspiration from, and quite often, they all say the same thing. No, no, give me a platform, and Law Enforcement Today is your platform, so if you ever want to be a guest on a show, just reach out and contact me. My email address is j at lawenforcementtoday.com, or go to our Facebook page and, and contact us there. Alan, uh, like I said, you, you're a construction guy, but you also used to do construction with your brother, correct? We did. We started out in business. Uh, Ralph went on to college right after high school to get his law degree, his two-year degree, criminal justice. And in the meantime, uh, things just weren't opening up for them, so we went into painting. We painted for about 10 years together off and on. Being slowed down in the late 70s, he went to work for a union shop. I went to work for a different shop. And uh, then we rejoined back in the early 80s and did that until he became a police officer. Uh, had a lot of good years. It was a lot of fun. You know, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. We actually had a great time working together. Uh, didn't always agree, but that's well, brothers. That's, that's, that's what you know, siblings that's, do. That's we life. love each other, but we don't always get along. And that, that comes <laughs> with the territory. Right. So he went into a career yeah. in law enforcement. He did. He had tried the whole time we were in construction. Uh, he actually had tried. He was a reserve officer that whole time. And he had tried to get on full time several agencies, mostly local, because he wanted to stay around the area. That's the area we grew up in. And he wanted to stay there, but just nothing seemed to open. You know, it, I'm sure a lot of officers have heard that, well, if we were hiring two more people and they're only hiring one, he'd be the next guy. 
Well, he got he heard that so many times he was just tired of hearing it. Yeah, and that was and, back uh, what in the nineteen eighties. That was in, yes, from about I would say from about eighty eighty one to and he became a full fledged officer to, in eighty six eighty seven. And that's the way it was in a lot of places in the United States. And when I got hired in Baltimore in 1980, they were in the few agencies yeah. that were hiring because the other smaller agencies in Baltimore, in Maryland, they had no problems getting people. But Baltimore was recruiting from everywhere. And now, across the United wow. States, almost every agency has a recruitment shortfall. And that is even true here. Uh, my son-in-law just became a county. Uh, he worked for the county jail. And I know he's anxious to get out on the road at some point. But he, he's willing to pay his dues and, you know, do his time to be working the jail and stuff. But Ralph certainly had to do that. He was a road officer first. And I remember him telling me some stories when he first became a road officer, some of the uh, fun stuff that happened. Uh, but he, he paid his dues. I mean, he had, to, he had to buy his time to, you know, to eventually work up to be chief. Uh, didn't happen overnight. You know, and sometimes things just fall into place. And he was so, chief of police of a small agency in Oregon? He was. Yes, he was. Rainier, Oregon, right across from, they have a bridge between us and Washington. He's, he lives on the on the Oregon side of that bridge, uh, the Longview Bridge. So, and what uh, was the name of the uh, town or city he was a chief? Uh, Rainier, Oregon. Rainier, Oregon. We grew up in St. Helens, which is about 20 miles south of Rainier. And uh, he happened to just fall in love with Rainier. Uh, I don't think, I mean, if he was to tell you, if he was here today, he'd tell you, his intention was never to stay there. He wanted to get into a bigger agency where he had the potential to, you know, climb the ladder. Uh, he never saw that opportunity. I don't think he saw that potential there at Rainier at first. But he stayed long enough to do where he eventually did become chief. So, and you say he rode the if, wave, though. If he, he was still he here, because things took a very tragic turn in his career, didn't they? They did. They did. Uh, they certainly did. He was killed in a line of duty in 2011. January 5th of 2011. And uh, I think if you were to ask Rob today, pick construction or police work, he still would have put, picked police work. That, that he would have picked. He wanted to be an officer. That's all. When he was a little kid, that's all he ever wanted to do. In fact, he geared his life towards that. So, And it's, uh, I always tell that, people, it's almost like a, a vocation. It's a calling for a lot of people. There's some people go I into work. I, yeah, some people go into it for you know, pay or benefit, it's not great pay, but for benefits or security, yeah. whatever else, and then fall in love with it and stay. And others uh, will come for a short period of time and leave. But there's a, a large segment of people in law enforcement that have wanted to do this since they were little kids. I absolutely believe that. I believe a, a police officer, a fireman, doctor, uh, they, they just seem to know from early on uh, what they were supposed to be. And, uh, I've told the story several times before, but, you know, these little kids, we grew up in the 50s and 60s. We had cops and robbers back then. Um, I always had to play the bad guy. <laughs> and, of course, I got to play the cop. We got to play the cop. We, back then, we called it, we called it cowboys and Indians. I know that's not politically correct nowadays, but that's what we called it back then. And uh, he got to be the cowboy. I had to be the Indian. So you were always, uh, you always got to be the, 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 the robber and the cops and robbers. And, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It was funny though with the Cowboys and Indians because, uh, we found out later on, a little later on in life that we actually got some Native American in our, in our background, in our, in our uh, heritage. And I thought, hmm, that kind of made me proud to be, 
the Indian, the, you know, back in them days. So, yeah. That wasn't such a bad thing, you know, so. So your brother, yeah. uh, Ralph, was his first name, and the last name's Painter, and he was Ralph Chief Arthur, actually. Ralph mm-hmm. Arthur Painter? Painter, mm-hmm. And he's killed uh, yeah. in 2011, is what you said? January 5th, 2011, that is correct. What happened? He, well, I, I know a little bit more behind-the-scenes story. Uh, let's say he got a call. He got a call in his office. There was a young man. In a stereo store where they install stereos in Rainier, it's just a very small town. Rainier's not a big town. Um, got a call from the, uh, the manager of the store that said that some kid was sitting in a car, one of their showroom cars, um, and he was just listening to the stereo. Their assumption was that he was going to try to steal the car. So, of course, they called the police. Uh, Ralph is not supposed to be on duty per se, he's cheap, you know, but he will go out on a call if need be. And he did. And um, he asked the young man to get out of the car. He would not. So Ralph sprayed him with pepper spray. Either the pepper spray was, wasn't very effective or something happened. Um, the story we get is there, there was another person in the garage. I don't know if Ralph turned for a second to bat that person off and not have him get involved. But at some point, the young man came out of the car and he punched Ralph and and uh, eventually knocked him out. And Ralph laid on the on the floor of the garage. And the young man proceeded to go back and sit in the car. As he was sitting in the car, he turned over, recognized, saw the badge, recognized, oh, that's a cop. He just decided to go pull his, his duty um, gun and, and shoot him with it. That's the story we get. Now, mind you, up to this day, I just recently got the police report, so I know a little bit more about what happened that day, but it doesn't really go into detail uh, on that. That's kind of amazing that it doesn't have a lot of detail. We we wrote very detailed reports, especially well, that's I think I, if it was involved that officer being hurt, there was a tremendous amount of details. and I mean, nothing was left unreported in those reports. Well, that's what I told you. I think, I think it's been... Um, I think it's been blocked out in areas. I can't. I can't prove that. I haven't seen the official. You know, we're, we're getting a copy of it. I, I can't. I can't say that for sure. It just seems awful vague in some areas. Um, I, I, and I don't want to accuse anybody of doing that. I just. It just. It's very vague. It's more of a, a report from every officer that was there that day, because there were plenty. Uh, you know, when an officer gets shot, they they show up in numbers. Yeah. And they did. And every officer, every agency has to file a report. And you have copies of that, but I don't see any. And it's not that I want to I don't want to know all the gory details. But you kind of want to know what happened that day. And um, we were told just before we went into a hearing here recently uh, in more detail what happened. And that's how we know a little bit more than what we... And we've had to be so cautious of what we allowed to get out to the media because we were... Assuming we would go ahead toward the trial, well, you don't want to give the defense any ammunition to Absolutely. Against you, that you that you've leaked stuff to the media, that you've done this, you've done that, you tried to sway a jury. We have played that, we have walked that wire so tight that when the DA is commended as a family for for not catering into the media and stuff. So, uh, well, we, on we that really note, we're going to take a short break. We're talking with Alan Painter okay. about the the murder of his brother, police chief. Ralph Painter, and we'll be right back. I want to tell you about a product, actually a line of products, 
that have changed my life dramatically. Juice Plus health products. I know many of you like me are skeptical about claims made for these nutritional supplements. However, these Juice Plus products have made a world of difference for me. The simplest, cheapest, least expensive product they have as a result of taking it, a chewable berry flavored product. I've had full night's sleep every night and zero leg cramps. I know doesn't seem like a lot, but getting good night's sleep and having a stable mood helps me quite a bit. You can get more details about Juice Plus products at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. And for those of you looking for a great business opportunity, check out letpops.com. Back to our conversation with Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Show. Alan's brother, Ralph, was a police chief in Oregon who was uh, murdered, killed in the line of duty back in 2011. These conversations, Ralph, are not easy for me to have. And and I want people listening to understand that I don't like having these conversations, but these are things that need to be told. Otherwise, you don't have any real concept of what's happening. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but your brother, who is police chief, is a small agency. So when there's not enough people, he goes out on the call. It's a routine call. And I hate that word when it comes to law enforcement. A young man sitting in a car at a car stereo shop, and they think he might be trying to steal the car, and the guy uh, assaults your brother, uh, punches him, knocks him out, then takes his service revolver or service weapon and, and basically executes him. Is that it? That is correct. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. And that's one of the first things we're always taught and in, in all along is people don't understand this, and the news media doesn't help. And by the way, he did a great job – keeping details that's away from the media. Uh, we'll talk about why you can talk about it now. But the the news media doesn't do a lot of information with it, say, well, this officer shot an unarmed man. All too often, many, many officers, I don't know how the percentages, but many, many police officers in the United States who are killed in line of duty, who are shot and killed, are shot and killed with their own service weapon. They're assaulted, they're disarmed, the weapon's taken from them, and the, the bad guy, for lack of better words, will then execute that officer because they don't want to have the witness around. And when you get into a fight and a fight over your weapon, which I've been in, and that ended my career, uh, the injuries of my, of my hand and all the surgeries, when the guy was trying to shoot me with my service revolver, that's how long ago it was, was still my hand and had it turned towards my face, it wound up destroying my wrist. I did everything in my power to try to shoot that guy and not get killed that day. Both of us survived. But that would have easily been a scenario where the news media would say, officer shoots unarmed man. And this is the scenario that killed your brother. It was a, initially an unarmed guy, wasn't he? That is correct. And, well, and for a long time, the media has made the mistake of saying in, in the local papers and even on some radio, uh, local radio stations, they've made the mistake of saying that there was a struggle for the gun. There was never a struggle for the gun. He was knocked out. He was laying on the floor when the guy pulled his gun out of his holster and shot him execution style. See, he was defenseless. And that's exactly that's exactly how one of our state representatives he knew Ralph, and he's from that area. He, he said that's exactly what he said on the Capitol floor here in, in down in our in our state capitol, is that this guy shot him execution style. That's his, that's his exact words. And that's pretty much what happened. Um that's exactly how he shot him. And there was no struggle for the gun. There was never any scuffle at all for the gun. Uh, he, he shot him in cold blood. 
um, at that point, you know, I always thought if I was a young person and I got in the scuffle with an officer, I never would, but um, you have to think along those lines sometimes. Um, oh, I just would have got out of there. I just would have ran for the Dickens, you know, and yeah. gotten the heck out of there. Uh, but there's, yes, there's certain people, and there's a very, very small percentage, but there's certain people, and uh, th- you have people who have never been in trouble a day in their life. You have people that might have to contact the police for whatever reason. You have people who have periodic arrests. If it wasn't drugs or alcohol, they'd never get in trouble with the law. And you have some criminals that even those aren't violent. And then you have a very, very small percentage that really want to inflict harm and damage. And yes. those are the ones that create so, so much havoc. And not just for the death of your, your brother, but something that impacts your whole family and the whole community. It does. It certainly does. You know, it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride with well the emotions and with all the with all the court stuff and all the hearings and all the stuff that goes along with that. It it's just been one big roller coaster ride, you know, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of people say, Well, you know, when this is all, you know, when they get to a final point you get closure, well, I think that's a misnomer. I don't think you ever get closure. You learn to create a new normal, and you learn to move on. But part of that moving on is you have to create a new normal. And uh, I think as family members, that's what we've all done. Um, you, I, you know, we, yes, we've been through. We've, we've, we've gone to court. He is sentenced to go to prison. But that's still not over yet either. You know, that, that's still ongoing. So, How old was your brother when he was killed? My brother was 55. Yeah, 55. That happened in January, so he was 55. And I'd be willing to bet, and I don't want to make any of the conversation about the guy who killed him, uh, names and that stuff. I just don't believe in giving any people any publicity at all. But I'd be willing to bet this was not his first encounter with the law, that he had prior incarcerations. It was not. I I don't know his his history, but I believe he had had some scuffles with the law before. Certainly, he... His brothers have, and that's another whole story I think they're going to cover in a later story about his, his half-brother. The family certainly has had their scuffle with law, and it doesn't help when you have a dad that teaches his boys to fight whoever. You know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a kid learning to defend themselves, right. but when you teach them to fight those in authority, whether that be a teacher, a fireman, a police officer, or even a, even an adult as, a, as an authority figure, when you teach your kids to fight like that, they have no respect for authority. And this dad certainly did do that. He admitted that on TV several times and, you know, and just tried to blame Ralph that he wasn't a good fighter and stuff. Well, uh, no officer should have to defend themselves against a young punk kid. Especially when you, you, you know, turn you, your head to, to protect someone else quickly, then you get sucker right. punched. That's what a lot of these are. People right. who, who love to talk that they're some big bad guy, and what they are is they're sucker punch experts. And the moment you drop right. your glance, and this is another reason why people don't understand, especially in the typical car stop, the officer was not friendly. Uh, I think he was too intense. Well, the minute you cut your glance elsewhere away from a possible threat could be is when you wind up getting hurt. We have an old saying in law enforcement, complacency kills. Uh, and, yes. and I'm not saying yes. this as a negative against your brother. I'm not saying no. it occurred. But no. what when we take our attention off the potential bad guy for even a split second and put on someone else, yep. that's when we're in the most risk. Yep, yep. You know, and it... Well, even his dad went on to say that, you know, that the prophet had better training. Well, you know, most officers get pretty good training. Um, uh, and, and 
in all their training and stuff. Uh, he'd, he'd been through the academy, had been down for for, uh, for further training and stuff. I don't think it was training. When you get sucker punched like that or you get caught off guard, I don't think there's any defense against that. No. And we've seen so we've, like, we've re- seen very proficient uh, professional boxers that that have great jaws, uh, and that someone uh, hits them running the button unexpectedly. And they're out. And it's it's not it's not a willpower thing. It's not a strength thing. When someone hits you right, punches you right on the button of the jaw, the chin, it right. short circuits right. everything. And you cannot, even if you're not knocked out, you cannot physically respond. Right. Your brain doesn't connect with your body. Yeah. Now there was another this other person that was in the garage. I believe he ran to the office uh, to get out of there for a second. He came back to try to help Ralph. Uh, revive, and that's when this young man pulled the gun and shot Ralph, and then he told this guy. And I believe, I think he even shot towards this other guy. Uh, the other guy, of course, ran into the office to protect himself, which I don't hold against him. No, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't hold that against him. He's protecting his own life. At this point, I think they could probably tell Ralph was already dead, or at least pretty well injured. I mean, he was—he he certainly had his heart was in the right place. He was going to try to help Ralph. You know, at this point, there was there was no helping them. So we don't. I, I certainly don't yeah. fault them for doing that. We are talking with Alan Painter uh, about his brother Ralph, a police chief in Oregon, who was uh, killed in line of duty, shot and killed in line of duty. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. Return to conversation with Alan Painter on our law enforcement show. Just for a brief recap, Alan's brother, Ralph, was a police chief in Rainier, Oregon. He was shot and killed in the line of duty back in 2011. Alan, I'm so glad you're coming on the show to talk about this. And Typically, we hear the term survivors, law enforcement survivors, we think of spouses. And all too often, myself included, I don't take into consideration siblings. And parents, my mother worried intensely daily when I was a police officer in Baltimore. And I didn't really comprehend it till after I retired. And she's still with us. My dad, too, but he passed away many years ago. But I never took the time to think about how it affected my siblings, my sisters. And so when your brother was shot and killed, when did you become aware? Or how did you become aware that, that something bad had happened? Well, I was at home getting ready for work. And I get a, I get a call from his oldest daughter that her dad had been shot. And I thought, well, wait a minute. He, he's chief. He doesn't normally go out on calls and stuff, which he does, I know, but I didn't know that. I thought, well, that's got to be a mistake. But I, I took, I took it to heart. So I thought, well, my first thought was I called, of course, I called into work, called my wife at the beginning. I, I wanted to get to my mom's house because I didn't want her, I did not want her to hear about it on the media. I didn't want her to hear about it. And 
she knew that an, by the time I got there, she knew an officer in Rainier had been shot, but she didn't know who. And um, unfortunately, as she and she stayed busy. We have lots of family in the area, so my cousins and aunts and uncles were there around her and stuff. But her way of dealing with something is she stays busy. She's really busy. And she did that day. But she, the minute she sat down just for just a couple minutes, they announced it on the news that the officer shot in her had died. They they announced it. And she found out in the news. She found out in the news. The chaplain showed up like five minutes later. Let me the clarify this. Just like, she found out the officer died, but she didn't know who it was until the chaplain arrived? She knew who it was at that point. She knew. Uh, um, I think she, they had mentioned, I don't know why the media feel like they have to give names out. A lot of times they don't give names out right away. But I, I believe that day they did. And she knew. She just knew. You know, so. They shouldn't. They should That's never give the names out un, until the family members have been officially notified. And the family members are where we did oh. notification. And it wasn't just law enforcement. I remember being a young police and uh, dispatcher would call me and say, give me a call on the phone. And I call them and say, we have to, you have to do a death notification. Their son it was in a car accident in Ohio. Uh, here's their parent's name. Here's his name. And he didn't make it. And you went to their house and you had to tell them. And it was a horrible yeah. thing to do. Death notifications are one of the worst things ever to do. But you don't want people finding out by something as impersonal as a television or radio or nowadays the internet and social media. Well, I totally. Well, my wife was sitting in a uh, restaurant. She actually had to come over. We have police in our family. I was not the only one. I have a brother-in-law and a son-in-law, and I have cousin, I have a nephew that's Ralph stepson's officer. So a lot of them have scanners. Well, you have something on the scanner, and of course your ears are glued to it at that point. And my sister-in-law had heard, and her husband's an officer. She called my my wife, her sister, and she found out in a restaurant. My wife, of course. Had to write to my mom's house. She knew I would be there. So it, it's amazing how different people find out stuff, you know. And but if I had any advice to give officers when they're out there, and I know that has to be the toughest thing to do in the world as an officer is is to go to the house. But if you do, um, just be honest with people. Uh, I know they sometimes they try to hide. They don't want. They don't want to. They don't have to go into gory detail. But no. Just be honest with people. Tell, and there's no there's no it. right way of saying these things. It, exactly. That's something that we were taught early on, and you almost have to be what's the old guy's dragnet thing? The facts. You just almost had to be. Just look. I'm very very sorry to tell you, your your son. We got reports your son was killed in a car accident in Ohio, and and right. there's what can you say? There's nothing you can say that makes it any better for them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a powerless feeling. Well, and the unfortunate thing is if, if because there was a case here, I've, I've gotten to be friends, I, you know, I didn't want to plug them too much, but I am part of the cops organization. Great organization, by uh, the way. Yeah, you can plug them all you want. They're phenomenal. I got involved with them about it. They won't let you get involved right away because they want you to get through that, some of that emotional stuff the first year, year and a half. But as soon as I could, I did. And uh, boy, you hear some horrific stories. One was right here in Oregon. I've gotten to be friends with him. Uh, his brother was an officer, and he actually was in a car accident with his car. Somebody rammed him, and his car burst into flames. Well, when they came to the house to tell the parents, they they told them that no, their son was he was already dead. But that's not true. It wasn't true. They, the, the parents found out afterwards that no, he was alive when he was burning in the car. 
And what a horrific thing for them to find out afterwards, you know. And of course, they were angry. They were mad that, you know, they felt like they were lied to. And that's why I say, just, just as hard as that is, just be honest with people. They're going to appreciate that more uh, if they if they find out that that wasn't the total truth later on. Uh, just trying to save officers from having to live with that. And the range of reactions you get from people when you have to notify them. That mm-hmm. I've had people that were extremely angry. I've had people that were mm-hmm. very, very quiet and remorseful and sad. And others who were up and down, up and down. And some of them would, would yeah. verbally attack you. And you, you couldn't take it personally. You just had to realize this person just received some of the worst news they're ever going to get in their entire life. And yeah. it was your job to tell them. Right. And another story, um, just recently, that we had an officer a couple years ago. Well, been longer than that. Been, yeah, a couple of years ago, we had an officer killed in a coastal town. Well, when his dad heard about it, I don't even know that the police came to his house. I think he heard about it otherwise, probably from the scanner or something. He called the chief up and he says, um, I just want to, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm going to my gun safe. I'm grabbing my gun and I'm going to go find that guy. Of course, the chief assured him, he goes, it's already taken care of. The other officer, he was, they were, they were they were issuing a, a warrant for this guy's arrest. He goes, the other, the other officer already killed him. Because you don't have to do that. And I thought, well, that's one reaction, you know, and I understand that anger. I, I do, you know, I don't, he never, thank goodness, he never followed through with any of that, but um, that's how, you're right, different people do respond differently. Oh, yeah. I've had people swing at me. There's been all, all kinds of things, and... One of the most difficult things I tell people I ever had to do, besides death notifications, is I got to know young people on my post that worked when they were 10, 9, 11, and then several years later, when they were teenagers and they got in the drug game and they shorted the deal or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, they wound up getting shot, and you're the one there that, that's trying to comfort them as they're taking their last breaths. There's no one else around. Uh, well, the people right. that are around are, are loitering as if it's free entertainment. And right. there's no, there's nothing in any police academy that trains you for that either. Not what's going no. on and nothing that, uh, for the aftermath other words, afterwards. But then right. when you have to tell their right. mother that their 16-year-old son didn't make it, it, it yeah. and they get mad and they swing at you, you can't, you can't take it personal because it's, that's what no, happens. No, Well, that's the worst news that any parent or any parent, sibling, anybody could ever get. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, Alan, I can't imagine, having been in, in police work, I can't imagine being in your shoes and then finding out. And then finding out that it, not only was your brother's killed and you have your own range of emotions you have to deal with, but then the very natural feeling that I want to protect my mother and, and I don't want her to suffer and there's nothing you can do to prevent that either. No. She's a strong lady. I tell you, she, she, she's going to be 80. She's 83. She's, she's a strong woman. Um, I, love, I know a lot of my Ralph's kids have tried to smother her and say, well, we just don't want grandma to. I said, you guys, she's tough. Yeah, she's emotional. I mean, she's, just, she's natural. She's a parent. But she's, she's a tough older lady. She, she can handle the She truth. didn't get to be uh, in her 80s by being a softie. This is a Law Enforcement Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more. 
there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at jefepods.com. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. Returning our conversation with Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Show. Alan's brother, Ralph, was a police chief in Rainier, Oregon. Uh, he was shot and killed in line of duty back in 2011. And when we left for the commercial break, we are talking about your mom and, and want to protect her. And really have not focused a lot on, I mean, your brother was 55 when he was killed. So I'm imagining you're a little bit younger than him. We're a year and a half, uh, actually 16 months apart. Okay. So, so, we, you, so you're, you're in your fifties when you found out and we oh, have this stereotypical yeah, yeah. image of men in our fifties that we stoic, we don't say anything, we don't talk, we don't cry. And none of that is true, by the way. We just may not do it in front of you, but we do that. Right. And, sure. and very little part of, very little of the attention is focused on what siblings went through. And in our own conversation, I really haven't put much of a focus on uh, what you went through. How were you when you found out what happened to Ralph? Well, you know, like I said, I was focused on my mom and other relatives. I knew I had relatives flying in from out of state. And, uh, of course, you know, you got to be strong for them and uh, try to put on that good face just as officers are trained to do, <laughs> to show the emotions and stuff. Not that I'm an officer because I'm not. Um, I don't know. You try to be tough, but you know, I had to realize that, uh, I don't care how tough you, you try, what, what face you try to put on, it does touch you, you know? And I, I would say that was part of, part of the reason I got involved with, with the cops organization is, um, when we went to the memorial service, a local one here in Oregon, I saw many families that had been affected by a line of duty death. And I thought, well, they seem to have it together. How did they get through that? How, how, what was their journey? I mean, how, how did they manage that? And you start talking to them and you find out, yeah, it wasn't easy, you know, and, uh, but they managed to get through by leaning on each other. You know, you have the cops organization, you have retreats for just about every facet, you know, from, from parents to siblings to, uh, spouses to coworkers to, um, Spouses of coworkers. I mean, we try to cover the whole gamut of who's affected by a line of duty death. In yeah. fact, I think they've even extended it now to extended family. Yeah, so, I've, I've, I was, in I've been too, involved with cops since '89 uh, uh, when my, my it's a great buddy, organization. my probably, buddy Billy Martin, was killed in line of duty. And I've heard that. I've actually heard that name before. And uh, and it, it has a tremendous impact on the people that worked with them. It, and the first yep. responders that are on scene, uh, the, the law enforcement, the, the firefighters, the EMTs, I, I was lucky. I was I was never there. I never saw that happen to anybody. Yep. But I can only yeah. imagine the impact it has on them as well. Yeah. And you, you know, you're right now you said that a lot of times the parents and the siblings and the grandparents, and you know, and I, and I get it. 
the focus is on the spouse and the kids. I, I get that. But the parents get left out of a lot. They, they just do. That was that was another driving force for me to get involved with cops. I wanted to see some of the things that get that the spouse gets. I wanted to make sure the parents got a duplicate of that. Some of the medals and some of the things it, that doesn't always happen. But I just thought, you know, what if there's not a good relationship between that parent and that other spouse? What if what if that's the case? Uh, that parent, unfortunately, will never get to see some of those medals and some of the some of the things that happen after an officer is killed. Some of the, some of the things that they get, and I thought, well, you know what? I, I mean, I can't change it. You can't change things at, things at a national level, but I can certainly give input, and I can certainly have gotten to know uh, Diane Bernhardt and, and before her some of the other uh, directors of uh, Susie uh, Sawyer. Great and all organization. By the way, yeah, we're talking Susie's, about concerns <laughs> of police survivors, and their website is concernsofpolicesurvivors dot org, and they're phenomenal, phenomenal people, and they've been doing great things for survivors of slain law enforcement officers, and they've been doing it for a very long time. Yes, they have. So, yeah, uh, I would say anybody go up and check that up on their website. It's a great organization. And you don't uh, have to be a survivor to want to help. You don't. And here's, you know, is th- this is something, Alan, that, and I've apologized. I've had uh, Billy Martin's widow on the show, uh, Kim, and I've known Kim since the day Billy was killed. And we've become friends, and I, there is a part of me that wants to run away when I have to have a conversation with her because I feel awkward. I don't know what to say. And there's always a fear that I'm going to say something wrong and then make it worse. Which, And she explained to me, you can't make it worse because it's the worst yeah. that could happen. The best yeah. thing you can do, and this is where all of us can help out, the best thing you can do is not ignore them, is to... Yes. Hey, I'm your friend. I'll always be your friend. And we can talk about fishing if you want. Yep. If you want to talk about your brother, yep. we'll talk about your brother. But I'm here for you. Yep. And, you know, sometimes all they need is somebody to listen. They don't always need advice. You know, somebody has lost somebody, especially an officer. They don't want a lot of advice. You know, they just they just want somebody to listen to them. And sometimes that's all you need to be is that sounding board for them. Uh, and, and, and that's not bad. Um, you don't have to make up something to try to console them. If, if you feel like you have to do that, don't, because it won't be the right words. <laughs> just, just listen to them. And, and, that's all they really and, want. and don't disappear. Uh, don't, don't abandon and them. And don't disappear. I totally agree. Totally agree. With and that. so yeah, many people have said people that. Don't, they don't know what to say, so they don't come around. You know, well, don't do that. Yeah. They, they need people. And I'll say, you know, right after, Right after the services and stuff, you have a lot of people around. It's that next month, and then after that, people just start kind of falling off. And it's not that they forget, but, I mean, I mean let's, be busy. let's be honest. Life gets, All of our lives get busy, and you move on with the rest of your life. And you kind of forget about the person that lost somebody. And, um, and I mean, they gotta, they got to move on, too. But it's a slower process. It can be a very slow process for them. One of, things, one of the things we hear all the time uh, on television is that people get a sense of closure. Is there anything mm-hmm. that's even remotely close to that? I would say if closure for some would be in the incident of where the person that murdered an officer, if that person gets killed. I mean, I don't know what call that closure. Some would probably call that more equi- equitable justice. Yeah. <laughs> But um, to go through a trial and stuff, because it's so long and drawn out uh, for us, you know, it's been, it was eight and a half or eight years, almost nine. It doesn't 
Yeah, eight, eight and a half, I'm sorry. Eight and a half years. Eight and a half um, years for the whole trial process to be over. Yeah, and, and we never even made it to trial. We ended up settling for a plea. You know, goodness sakes, I could have done that after the first year, year and a half. You know, but it saved the taxpayers a ton of money, you know, uh, uh, of what this has cost, this, you know, the state of Oregon. Prosecutors have plea bargained yeah. out a case where this suspect murdered your, your police officer brother. They did because, partly because we had a terrible judge. The judge just could not make a decision. The judge catered to the defense at every turn and whim. Anything the defense asked for, he granted. When the DA would, would rebuttal that, tell the DA to be quiet. Uh, for some reason, that judge just took a, a um, he felt more compassion for the murder, murderer than he did for the officer that was killed. And that's, that's something that's not unique. It, people. No. We have a criminal justice system and, and the criminals have all the rights. The victims don't. That, and if someone was killed, it's, it's not that they didn't exist or they don't matter, but they're not in the forefront. Right. It's not about no. procedure, making sure procedures are accurate for the person who's killed. is about the one who's on trial. And that's, I think, a source right. of frustration for a lot of people, especially those working law enforcement. Well, and you often hear, you know, that you'll hear that um, the criminal will say, well, I'm never going to get a, fight, a fair trial in that town. Well, in our, in our case, it would kind of be the opposite of that. Being a family, uh, you know, of an officer, this judge was not in it. We just didn't think we were going to get a fair trial. So with all the scenarios, we had a retired judge come in and show us the different scenarios of what could happen. The plea was going to get him the most years for sure. And if we went to trial, because if they're bringing in the mental instability play, um, that's a chance. I mean, there's this, there's a slim chance that he could have walked or he could have yeah. spent most of his time at the state hospital. And we didn't want to see that happen. We no. just figured the plea, yes, yes, he's going to spend some time at the state hospital, but he's going to spend the majority of his time at the, uh, in prison. And that's where he belongs so, for what he did. Uh, it is where he belongs. How would you describe where you're at now, uh, mentally and emotionally? I, I think I'm in a pretty good place. Um, I don't know if I mentioned on the show typically, but I'm, I am a Christian, and I uh, go to church. I have my faith, and my mom, and she raised us that way. I have my faith to fall back on. And I think uh, the COPS organization has a little book book out called Better Not Bitter. And I got that book shortly after um, the associate pastor told me that, and I thought, wow, timing couldn't have been better. Um, and I tried, to, I tried to really stick to that advice. Uh, you, you can't become bitter over something like this. Uh, angry? Yeah. Hurt, you know, um, a hurt, um, emotions run the gamut, all that. But if you allow that bitterness to take over you, it's just going to make you sick, and it's going to take, it's going to have an effect on your life. And I'm, I'm not going to give him that. I'm not going to give the guy that shot my brother that the benefit of that. Powerful last words, uh, Alan Painter. Thanks you know, so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Show and sharing your stories. Very much appreciated. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.